All right, so back in 2004, the year we started this church, the Port St. Lucie area, if you were here, you know, was hit by two back-to-back hurricanes, Francis and Jean. And so on Labor Day weekend, Hurricane Francis hit as a Category 2 storm with 105-mile-an-hour winds. Now, before it made landfall, we decided, my wife and Stacy and I decided to get out of town. And so we got in the car, loaded up Megan, Mandy, and Mary, and we headed uh, to Tampa. And I never forget, we got stuck on the Florida Turnpike. I mean, it was jammed, and we inched our way north. Normally, it takes like three and a half hours to get to Tampa from PSL. It took us about eight hours uh, on that day to get over ta- to Tampa. And, and guess what? The storm just followed us all the way across the state. And well, thank God it kind of lost its punch by the time it got to Tampa. About three weeks later, an even worse storm struck us, and that's Hurricane Jean. It hit as a Category 3 storm with 120 mile an hour winds. So before it made landfall, we decided uh, to stay, to remain in Port St. Lucie. So we left for the weaker storm and we stayed for the stronger storm. And like many of you, we hunkered down in our homes. How many guys were here? Uh, Yeah, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'll never forget the sound of the storm once it hit. It was like elephants all night long were running back and forth across our roof. I had never experienced anything like that ever in my life. Now, during the storm, we had our battery-powered radio that was ready to go. Of course, no electricity. And I remember at some point, we heard the weatherman, Steve Weagle, and he addressed all the Port St. Lucie residents, and he told us exactly when the eye of the storm was going to make its way over Port St. Lucie. His timing was perfect. The wind died down. We went outside, and we looked up, and we saw a beautiful, clear, starry night. Later, we went back in the house. The elephants returned, started running back and forth over our roof once again. Most of you know that the Atlantic hurricane season lasts for six months, from June 1st all the way until November 30th. Okay, so we are um, in June, so we are officially in the 2022 hurricane season. The NOAA is predicting a quote-unquote above-normal season for 2022. Their website recently said this. They are forecasting a likely range of 14 to 21 named storms, of which 6 to 10 could become hurricanes, including 3 to 6 major hurricanes, and the NOAA provides these ranges with a 70% confidence. How encouraging is that, (laughs) right? And so um, it always cracks me up, you know, when I hear teenagers say, oh, man, I hope it happens this year. And I'm thinking, you have no idea. You're not a homeowner. You're not a business owner. Wait till that happens, and then you'll be praying and begging God to keep the storms away. And so, hey, as we do every year here in Florida, let's just um, have our hurricane plan ready, but let's pray also that we're not gonna need it this year. And I'm serious about that. We don't need that this year. Now in our passage today, 
the disciples are gonna experience a fierce storm. A storm that's gonna shake them to their core. And the storm occurred while they were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now Mark's gospel tells us that they quote, as they're rowing, they quote, made headway painfully. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the Christian life and following Jesus uh, is pain-free or a bed of roses. It's not. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a fallen world. We're not in heaven yet. Okay, and so according to Mark's gospel, they, as they rode, they, quote, made headway painfully for the wind was against them. Recently, our Israel group took a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and it was absolutely awesome. And so our boat was called the Noah. And so, um, no, we didn't bring any animals on the boat. But there's part of our group as we head out into sea. And then I had the privilege of uh, teaching that day on the boat. Pastor Matt got to share his testimony. That was a lot of fun. And then there's another boat with another tour group on a beautiful, clear day. And then finally, there is the city of Tiberias, still existing today, uh, and it's there on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Three weeks ago, we did that. So when we went out, it was a picture-perfect day. Not so much for the disciples in our story. In fact, for the disciples in our story today, it was absolutely opposite of what we experienced as we're gonna see here in a moment. Now, if you have lived longer than five minutes, <laughs> you know that life is filled with storms. Literal storms and metaphorical storms, which of course are the trials, the tribulations, the troubles that all of us experience in life. And so just as we Floridians prepare every summer for the literal storms that may or may not come in any particular year, we as Christians, ladies and gentlemen, we as Christians have got to prepare every single day of our lives for the metaphorical storms, the trials and tribulations, which not may or may not, which will absolutely come at some point to our lives. We gotta be prepared. And so that's what this message is all about, how to prepare for and get through the storms of life. And so right now, if you're looking at John chapter six, verse 16, can you please say amen so I know you're there? And by the way, if you weren't here last week, you gotta go back and listen to last week's message, Which Kingdom, because that message flows into this message and you're not gonna really understand some parts of this message unless you go back and listen to last week's message. Mark 6, 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now in our story, you gotta understand that this isn't the only place that tells the story. Matthew tells the story in his gospel. Mark tells the story in his gospel, as well as John, and I encourage you on your own time to read all three accounts, but in Matthew it says this, immediately he, and can you shout out the next word please? Immediately. 
made. Okay, so John leaves that part out. John just says they get into a boat. But Matthew sheds a little more light on it. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. As we learned last week, after Jesus miraculously fed, this is a conservative number, 10,000 plus people. It's probably more like 15,000 plus. But after he did that miracle, he miraculously multiplied five loaves of bread and two small fish to feed over 10,000 people. You remember from last week that the crowd wanted to forcibly make him king. Why? Because they wanted to revolt against the Roman Empire. They were sick of being under the iron fist of Rome. They were sick of the taxes. They were sick of the oppression. And whether Jesus liked it or not, they wanted to make him king on the spot. But their secular agenda was not his spiritual agenda. And so what did he do? He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Okay, so why did Jesus do this? Well, apparently, the disciples were getting caught up in the hype of the moment. I mean, they would have loved for Jesus to become king right then and there. Why? So that they could become powerful and famous. And so, you know, I like to think through as I'm reading through the Bible and try to picture what else is going on and perhaps, perhaps, the conversation went something like this. Jesus says to his disciples, hey guys, get into the boat. The crowd's excited, right? They wanna make him king. He's like, hey guys, get into the boat. And, and they're like, why, Jesus? Why? They want you to be king. Come on, Lord. All this loving people and healing people, that's all well and good, but now's our chance. We got 5,000 men and they want you to lead them. So let's do this thing. Let's go. Let's finally put Rome in their place. And Lord, we could help you. We could be your cabinet. You know, the king's cabinet. Now we know James and John, they want to sit on your left hand and right hand, but we don't agree with that. You know, um, we think you should have them lead the military since they're always trying to call down fire on people that reject you. And you know, um, Matthew, here's what Matthew could do. He could collect taxes from Rome. Wouldn't that be a change? And not only that, Judas could become your secretary of treasury. <laughs> Simon the Zealot, he could become your personal bodyguard. Have you ever seen him do his workouts? I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And Peter, he could chop off the ears of all the Romans who resist you. I mean, let's do this, right? Now, obviously, I'm joking. Sort of. Here's what you need to know. The disciples really were, I believe it, they really were being tempted by three things. Power, position, and prestige. And Jesus knew that was detrimental to their spiritual health. And so he says, guys, get into the boat. Well, where are you going? And I'm sure Jesus thought something like this. You guys have no idea. Listen, listen, listen what my current kingdom is all about. So I'm gonna go up on the mountain and pray for you. Now, 
again, you gotta go back and hear last week. I understand the prophecies in the Old Testament. The government will be on his shoulders someday, but his current kingdom, listen, the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. Neither will they say, here it is or there, for the kingdom of God is within you, in the midst of you. And I encourage you guys last week, read the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over so that you can kinda get a glimpse of what the current kingdom is all about. Now, we go back to verse 16, and it says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, they got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them, verse 18, and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. All right, so can you see it? During the night, a fierce storm suddenly comes down upon the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are right in the middle of something that's scaring them to death. The boat they were in, by the way, was much smaller than the one that we were in just three weeks ago. We know the boat the disciples were in looks something like this. And so during a, this is very interesting, during a severe drought in 1986, the water level of the Sea of Galilee was going down and two brothers just happened to see part of this sticking up out of the mud of the lake bed of the uh, northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so they got on the phone, they called the experts, they excavated this boat. It's seven and a half feet wide, it's 27 feet long, plenty enough room for 13 men to be in it. And through radiocarbon dating, we know for a fact that it was used for fishing somewhere between around 100 BC and 100 AD. Somebody says, is that the boat that Jesus sailed in? Well, there were thousands of boats during that time frame on the Sea of Galilee, um, so probably not. There's no way to tell for sure, but I think that's super cool anyway, and if you go with us to Israel, we'll take you to see it. And so while the disciples were in a small boat, a fierce storm comes down upon them. And I want you to try to put yourself in the wet sandals of the disciples. Try to get there in your mind right now, okay? And so it's dark out. The wind is howling. The storm is raging. And the, 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 the waves are crashing over into the boat. They're getting soaked. The 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, um, that's getting soaked. And they're exhausted, right? Because they've been rowing and rowing painfully, trying to make headway. And it's in that situation right there, you gotta wonder what's going through their minds. Now I wanna ask you guys a question, and I want you to answer out loud, okay? Did Jesus know this storm was coming, yes or no? Absolutely. He was and is the omniscient son of God. Fully God, fully man. That's the biblical Jesus. And so, of course, the word omniscient, which is an attribute of God alone, means all-knowing. So, of course, he knew the storm 
was coming, and yet he sent them out there anyway. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew wrote, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And so that leads you to your first point if you're taking notes today. And I'm really trying to help you. I'm really trying to help everybody who's in this room. I'm really trying to help everybody who's watching. I'm really trying to help everybody who's going to listen later on the podcast. Because again, I want to emphasize, it's not if, it's when storms, trials, tribulations come into our lives. And you got to have a plan. you got to be ready. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been in full-time ministry for 22 years, and I served the Lord for many years before that on a lay level, and I can't tell you how many times I see people get hit with a storm, and they're gone. Why? They're not prepared. I want to help you to be prepared. And so in, um, um, in your notes, if you want to write this down, as followers of Jesus Christ, we got to remember that in the storm, Jesus is leading us for a purpose. Here's what you need to know. This storm didn't just happen by chance. You say, how do you know? I know because of the word of God. And the word of God says in Romans 8:28, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, and for those who are the called according to his purpose. I looked up the word all in the Greek. All means all. The seemingly good things in life, the seemingly bad things in life. How many of you guys believe God is sovereign? Okay, so all, you gotta believe this in your heart. All things work together for good, For those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. Jesus led them right into this storm for a purpose. What purpose? For their good and for his glory. That's why. For their good. What do you mean? They're getting caught up in the hype of the moment. They're being tempted by power, position, and prestige, which was detrimental to their spiritual health. And so Jesus is like, come on, guys, get in the boat. I want you to get away from the crowd. I want you to get away from the world. And it's also for his glory. What do you mean? Well, because they continued to follow Jesus and listen to Jesus, guess what happened? They became the apostles, and they and their associates wrote the New Testament, which tells us all about how to be a Christian to the glory of God. It was for their good, and it was for God's glory. Mark tells us while the disciples were on the water, Jesus was up on the mountain, and he was praying. No doubt he's praying for his men. Not only that, Mark's gospel tells us that from land, Jesus was watching them. No doubt with supernatural eyes because it's dark and because they're far out into the sea. What does that mean? That means if you're a follower of Christ, remember this, during your next storm, Jesus is watching you. His eye is on you. Don't think, where's God? Why has he abandoned me? No, 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 no. You know where he's at? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's doing? He's praying for you 
because Hebrews 7.25 says that he always lives to make intercession for you. How many of you guys are part of the bride of Christ, the church? You're born again Christians. Here's what you need to know. His eye is on you and he's praying for you. Listen, God is for you. He's not against you. Change your wrong view of God. Get the biblical view of Jesus. Now, when storms come, don't automatically think, oh man, I must have sinned. And that's why this bad stuff is happening to me right now. Now, listen, that may be true, but it may not be true as well. And I hope this principle clears it up for you. If you're running from the Lord, he may send storms to discipline you like Jonah. But if you're following the Lord, he may send storms to develop you like the disciples. You guys were here last summer, most of you, and you, you heard us teach through Jonah. God said go, Jonah said no, and he went down, down, down. That's what happens when you say no to God. And so God wants, hey, hey Jonah, um, those pagans over in Nineveh who are very wicked, I want you to go and preach repentance to them. Here's why, because I love them. Do you guys hear that? You hear the heart of God? Pagan, wicked people, I love them, God says. And I want you to go. Jonah's like, no. And so what happened? Discipline of the Lord. What did that discipline include? It included a fierce storm. It included him being thrown overboard into a stormy sea. And it included a three-day, three-night, all-expense paid stay in the belly of a great fish. But how many of you are glad that Jonah finally woke up and he repented? In the belly of the fish, he repented. And then after he's spewed out, he goes and obeys the Lord. You know the story, right? Well, here's why I'm bringing it up. Because some of you watching online or in the room may be running from the Lord. And here's what you need to know. If you're with me, say amen here. God loves you so much, he may send a storm to get you to repent. What does the word repent mean? It means a change of mind. But here's what you need to know. The change of mind, by God's grace and power, leads to a change of life. You turn around, you come back. And I say it, and I say it, and I say it, and I'm gonna keep saying it as long as I'm the pastor here. When you turn around and you come back to the Lord, he's never doing this, he's always doing this. Because he loves you. So let the kindness of God lead you to repentance. If you're following the Lord like the disciples, then the storm you're experiencing or will experience may be his tool to develop you spiritually. James tells us this. Count it all, what's the word? Joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. In other words, storms <laughs> of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And, please shout out the word, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you're a faithful Christian, 
and storms are hitting you. And you may be saying, why, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Well, here's a very good reason why. Because God wants you to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does that mean? He wants you to be spiritually mature. And so count it all joy. I'm not saying be happy for the pain. I'm not saying be, be happy for the suffering. No, that's ridiculous. Don't be happy for the pain and don't be happy for the suffering. Be happy for the result of the pain and the result of the suffering. Count it all joy, knowing that if you respond the right way to the suffering, that means if you don't moan and groan, if you don't gripe and complain, if you don't stomp your feet, if you don't get mad at God, if you don't give in to your fear and start freaking out, if you will let steadfastness have its full effect, what's gonna happen? God is gonna work inside of you and he's gonna make you perfect and complete, not sinless perfection. That spiritual maturity, he's gonna conform you to the image of Christ, but you gotta allow God to have his way in your life. I'm sorry to tell you, life's not about you. It's not me, myself, and I. It's not about you and all that you want and God's up there and God's only uh, mission in life is to bless you so you can be health, well, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's not true. God's goal for your life is Christ-likeness and he may send a storm to make sure that that happens in your life and in my life. Man, we gotta get back to the Bible and stop listening to nonsense that's being preached in some churches. Verse 19. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. So Matthew tells us it's the first, fourth, fourth watch of the night. That means it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Okay, and so between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., I want you to picture the scene. It's dark, the wind's howling, storm's raging, waves coming up over the boat, and all of a sudden, they saw someone coming near them. Now, how awesome would that have been? Matthew and Mark tell us the disciples thought it was a ghost. They cried out. Grown men, big burly fishermen are like, ah, screaming. <laughs> but when we're fearful, guess who's cheerful? Look at verse 20. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be Afraid. How many times do we read that in the Bible? Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, they write that Jesus said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And so, yeah, when we're fearful, Christ is cheerful. That leads you to your second point. As followers of Christ, we must remember that in the storm, Jesus is victorious over whatever makes us afraid. He's victorious. Ladies and gentlemen, the disciples 
were scared of the waves. The waves didn't bother Jesus one bit. He's walking on them. What makes them afraid? Jesus is above and he's victorious over what terrifies them. And at just the right moment, what did he do? He used the waves to come to them and to comfort them. Be of good cheer, guys. It's me. Don't be afraid. Now, I want you to think about something that makes you afraid. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you probably don't want to do it. I'm just going to wait here just for a few seconds. I want you to think about something that makes you afraid. And if you're bowing up right now, sticking your chest out, I'm not afraid of anything. You need to get real before God. So think about whatever that is. All right, you got it in your mind? If you do, say amen. Okay, here's what you need to know. Christ is greater. Christ is stronger. He walks on what makes you afraid. What makes you and I afraid, it's under his feet. And he's your savior. He's your Lord. He lives in your heart. So be of good cheer. It's me. Don't be afraid. I love what Warren Wearsby said. He said, why did Jesus walk on water? To show his disciples that the very thing they feared, the sea, was only a staircase for him to come to them. I love that. I love Warren Wearsby. He's with the Lord too. Um, by the way, if you need help with your devotions, last week I recommended John Phillips. I recommend Warren Wearsby. He's got the whole, the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. He writes more on a devotional level than a theological level, keeps the cookies on the bottom shelf, but back to the message. As you're going through your storm, here's what you need to know. If you're listening right now, say amen here. As you're going through the storm, here's what you need to know. Jesus is not at the right hand of the Father looking down on you going, oh no, how did that happen? I don't know what I'm gonna, Father, what should we do here? No. Are you kidding me? You say, why isn't Jesus freaking out? Here's why, because he's sovereign and all things work together for good for those who love God and for those who are the called according to his purpose. So keep your eyes on Jesus and just know this, that at just the right moment, you may discover that he's gonna use your storm to come to you and to comfort you. Listen, how many of you guys know the Savior can give Peace in the midst of the storm. He can give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's our God. And so the next time you encounter a storm, whether it's a bad accident, that just turns your world upside down. An illness or a disease. A loved one that has an illness or disease. A job loss. A financial setback. A personal offense, a strained relationship, a wayward son or daughter, the loss of a loved one. The next time you go through a storm, I want you to listen for these words. Be of good cheer. It's me. Don't be afraid. Listen, I'm with you in the storm. I'm sovereign. I've got this. I've got you. You see, Christ wants to use that storm as a staircase to come to you and to comfort you. Now, 
something else happened in our story that John doesn't write about. I don't know why he doesn't. Something happens in our story that Mark doesn't write about. I don't know, he doesn't. But thank God for Matthew, he he includes it. And so after Jesus said, it is I, don't be afraid, Matthew wrote this. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, shout out the word, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, you know, the effects of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus walked away. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, before I say anything else, I gotta say this. I am so impressed that Peter got out of the boat. I mean, these other 11 guys, they can argue with him all they want, but Peter, not them, Peter got out of the boat. Why? Because that's what leaders do. And you know if you're a leader. By the way, all of us are called to be leaders at different levels. But what do leaders do? They lead. They're the first to respond. It's just in their blood. And so I love the fact that Peter gets out of the boat. And as long as he kept his eyes of faith on the Savior, making Christ his constant focal point, then he was okay. He was victorious. But as soon as he focused on the storm, he took his eyes off the Savior and he put his eyes on the storm. What happened here? You know, he gets the effects of the storm. The wind's howling, his hair's blowing, right? The waves are splashing up on him. Maybe lightning is flashing and thunder is rolling. And so he gets his eyes off the Savior and on the storm. And what's, what happens then? He starts to sink. Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? Grabs Peter immediately, one arm curl. Now I know there's nothing there, but you gotta think about, you gotta think about Jesus. He was a mason, he was a carpenter, he's built, right, not like me. So he's just like, and I think he was smiling. It's like, oh, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? Why do we doubt? Why do we freak out? Christ loves us and Christ is sovereign. It leads you to your third point. As followers of Christ, we gotta remember this. In the storm, Jesus is calling us to keep our eyes of faith on him. Now notice I didn't say just keep your eyes on him. That's not enough. You gotta keep your eyes of faith on him. What does that mean? That as long as your eyes of Faith during that storm are on the Savior. As long as you're trusting in him, leaning on him, depending on him, trusting in his promises, believing in his promises, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be victorious. You're gonna walk on water. Now, I'm not saying, for those of you who have pools in your backyard this afternoon, 
take a walk because you're going to sink to the bottom, okay? So if you're listening, say amen right here. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by walking on water? Here's what I mean right here, right now. It means that God is going to show up in your life like you've never seen before. That means God is going to empower you to do what he's called you to do. It means God is going to provide for everything that you need. Why? Because where God guides, God provides. It's time in this generation for us to wake up. It's time for a revival in the church and a spiritual awakening in our community. It's time for us to stop playing church, checking a box, doing the religious thing. Either we want our community to die and go to hell in their sins, or we want to see them meet Jesus and get saved, or at least have the opportunity to hear the gospel, meet Jesus, and get saved. And if that's going to happen, it's time for us to wake up, to stir up the gift of God that is within inside of you. Stop playing the church thing. Stop checking the box. Stop living for yourself. Right here, right now, I'm calling some of you to rededicate your life to the Lord. Right here, right now, I'm calling some of, some of you to stop living for yourself or thinking you can earn your way to heaven and turn to Jesus Christ in genuine repentance and faith and let the kingdom of God come within you. Right here and now, I'm calling on our church, Port St. Lucie, Calvary. Man, let's do what God's called us to do. And let's go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Let's keep baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. How many of you guys believe he's coming back? He's coming back. During the first service, I was there on the front row and that last song that Jillian sang, it's stirring and I had both hands up and I imagined Pastor John Chinelli and his wife Connie, she went home to be with the Lord I think in 2020. I talked to John in January and he's now with the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, they're in the New Jerusalem right now and I had my, my arms up and I was just thinking about John and Connie being next to me, and, and we're, we're there worshiping Christ together. Listen, that time is coming. Amen. And by the way, also, I'll throw this in there. If you, don't, if you feel awkward raising your hands in church, let's, let me tell you, when you get to heaven, you're gonna raise both hands. Amen. You're going to do it. It's just gonna happen. You might as well start getting used to it now. Again, I lost my place in my notes, all right. So, if we keep our eyes of faith on him, we'll be able to walk on water, why? Because with God all things are possible. But like Peter, if we divert our eyes from the Savior to the storm, we're gonna sink. Please, please, please get this. Fear will sink us, but faith will keep us afloat. And so during that seemingly impossible thing that God has called you to do, when it gets rough and tough and the wind is howling and the waves are crashing up on you, please, please, please keep your eyes of faith on Jesus. Keep trusting in him. Keep trusting his promises. Why? So you can stay afloat and walk on water. Fear will sink us. Faith will keep us afloat. 
Now, before I get to our last verse, I just wanna talk a little bit more about verse 20. So follow me here. Jesus says to Peter, first Peter says, if that's you, uh, command me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. What do you call that? You call that a word from the Lord. You call that a leading from God. And Peter got out of the boat. If Jesus didn't say come, Peter would have been a fool to get out of the boat. But because he had a leading from the Lord, listen to this now, that leading, that clear leading from the Lord guaranteed that Peter would be victorious. As long as he kept his eyes of faith on the Lord. If you receive a clear leading from the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and by the way, this is one of the hallmarks of evangelical Christianity, and that is we believe in the new birth. We believe in being born again, because when you're born again, the Spirit of God comes inside of you. The kingdom is within us, and we are called not just to be born of the Spirit, but after we're saved, we're called to walk in the Spirit, and we're called to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. God leads us generally through the general principles of his word, but he leads us through the specific leading of the Holy Spirit inside as well. How many of you guys believe that? Man, I was hoping to hear a louder amen about that. Guys, guys, this church, we don't ignore the Holy Spirit here. And so if you get a clear leading from the Holy Spirit, come, whatever that means, you need to get out of the boat. Stop sitting in the boat. Stop wasting your life away. Get out of the boat. And the fact that he clearly led you will guarantee that you will be victorious as long as you just keep your eyes of faith on the Lord. It's gonna be okay. Do it. Get out of that boat. You say it's scary. I know. I've been there before several times. It's really scary. But I praise God for his grace and power and his might. Now, if he hasn't said, come, don't you get out of that boat. You heard this last week, right? Well, the culture tells me I can be whoever I wanna be and do whatever I wanna do, and so I choose to do this. And you know, I'm gonna go to church, and so God, can you you come over here and bless what I've chosen to do? Well, I hope you're ready to sink. Because that is not what the kingdom of God is all about. Go back and listen to last week. But I wanna encourage you guys to get out of the boat if you know for sure, step out in confidence. For those of you who are gonna get out of the boat, I want you to look at what the Lord said to Israel through Isaiah. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. As God's people today in this age of grace, this New Testament age, we can absolutely claim that promise. Last verse. Stay with me to the end, please. Then they, the disciples, were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, this is crazy, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So it's another miracle. 
They're out in the sea. He gets in the boat and bam, now they're on the shore. It's like, how did that happen? Because our God is a God of miracles. Matthew and Mark tell us that when Jesus got on the boat, the wind ceased. All right, so let's put both messages together. Let's recap real quick. What did Jesus do? What Jesus did is that he miraculously multiplied five loaves, two fish, and fed a crowd of over 10,000 people. He also healed their sick. Not only that, he walks on water and he causes Peter to walk on water. Not only that, he causes the wind to cease and he makes the boat, I don't know, three, four miles off? I have no idea, but all of a sudden, boom, they're on shore. And what was the disciples' response? Matthew says it right here. Those in the boat, please shout out the next two words. Saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Ladies and gentlemen, what's the first commandment of the Big Ten? You remember Moses comes down, Sinai, with the tablets? The very first one, you shall have no other gods before me. That is the true God said that, Yahweh God. You shall have no other gods before me. What does that mean? That means worship God alone. You think Jesus knew the Ten Commandments? And so why didn't he stop them from worshiping him? Why didn't he say, guys, stop, what are you doing? Look at Exodus 20. No, he accepted their worship. Why? Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Because we're gonna find out in John chapter eight, verse 58, that Jesus will say to the religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am. And we're gonna find out in John chapter 10, verse 30, that Jesus will say, I and the Father are one. That's why he accepted the worship. Ladies and gentlemen, there is one God. Please say one God. Please, 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 don't mess up on that one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our triune God deserves our worship. Listen, he deserves our worship when the storm is over and when we're going through the storm. So in conclusion, in the storm, Jesus is leading us for a purpose. Don't forget that. He's victorious over whatever makes us afraid. Don't forget that. And he's calling us to keep our eyes of faith on him.